This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Jason McCarthy. So Jason is a retired Green Beret, and he's also the founder and CEO of GoRuck. They make the best rucks that you can find in the world, and they're made right here in the good old United States of America. Now, guys, you might see from like the title of the podcast and that little bit of the intro that you got to hear that, oh, we're just going to sit here and talk about backpacks the whole time. Now, we did talk about backpacks. Oh, the guy was a green brayer. Or you can talk about the Q course. You can talk about all this different stuff. Okay, we're going to get into some of those things, right? But this conversation was an incredible one because whenever I build these conversations out, I'm just like, okay, I want to talk about these things. And this is kind of the red meat for, for the audience that, you know, know of Jason McCarthy or want to hear this about Go Ruck and that kind of thing. And that stuff is in here. But we got into a lot of other stuff. We got into some ideas about what's going on in America right now. Some of the things that we're seeing as a people group about our communities eroding with what we're seeing with social media and also what we're seeing uh, with stuff that happened during the C word uh, that happened over the last couple of years and the V word that people are supposed to jam into their arms. We got into a lot of that stuff. We also got into rites of passage. We got into how there's a seeming lack of that. We also got into his spiritual life and he admitted this uh, during the interview. That's why you got to stick around to the very, very end. Cause I do my normal outro uh, for my interview and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I was, I've never really been asked about the, the faith-based stuff or I don't get asked about that very often. And so then I did a couple more questions there at the end guys. We really, really dug in here because there's a lot of meat on the bone. When you talk to someone like this, that has done some incredible things. That's been a very, very resilient human being. There's something in this interview for you. And I'm talking to you guys listening to this intro right now that is going to help you in your life that if you make an adjustment based on something that you heard today it's going to improve your life and help improve the lives of the people around you that are in your immediate household and in your immediate community so if i haven't done a great enough job of selling this interview to you i just don't have the capability of saying anything else about how much i enjoy this conversation with jason mccarthy and i'm not going to keep him from you any longer so guys without further ado let's get into it Jason McCarthy, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, I'm so excited to have you on here today. I think you and I are going to get along just swimmingly, just in the little bit that I know about you. And we're going to get into everything today. We're going to get into your military career. We're going to get into why you started the organization that you did. And I know you guys can't see this on YouTube right now because I had a little snafu with my video, but I'm currently wearing the brand new Rucker 4.0 from GoRuck. And we're going to get into all the GoRuck stuff here in a second. I got the 30 pound plate in here. It's a little heavy. I'm going to be a little honest right now. I feel like you found a you know, weak spot in my fitness. But before we get too far into the interview, how about you give me some pointers on how to wear this thing properly? Because I know a lot of people make mistakes and I don't want to be one of those mistake ridden people. So tell me how to make this better. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is you, you put the, the ruck plate in the specific pocket inside of the ruck, which I think you, you got that covered. Okay, yep. Got it. Right. If it feels, if it feels heavy, don't worry. You'll get stronger. <laughs> okay. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> right. Um, when you put it on your shoulders, right. You just want to kind of bend over a little bit and cinch it down. Okay right? With the, the straps there. So it should be high and tight on your back. You gotcha. got to kind of yeah. push them back a little bit like, like that. So it should be really stable, but it shouldn't like cut off all the circulation or anything. Not, right. not that tight, right? but the more stable, the better. And, and then you just kind of go for a walk, man. It's pretty simple. You got the, so you got the sternum strap hooked up. Yep. That's cool. You can, you can use that. You can alternate with that. You know, you can like go, cause Look, it's meant to be posture corrective with okay. a rucksack yeah. on, 
right? So the more that you compress that down, it does relieve some pressure off your shoulders, but also constricts your kind of chest. It makes you come forward a little mm -hmm. bit. But it's it's good to kind of mess around with both. So don't feel obligated to to have it on or to to never use it. I, I rarely use it, but that's just because that's how I was um how I trained was we had other stuff on our chest that right, right. didn't really allow for for sternum straps. So it's kind of a luxury item in in my world. And sometimes that's really nice. Okay, cool. Well, hey, I appreciate that very much. And guys, I'm just going to go ahead and take this rucksack off for the remainder of this chat here because I don't want to die. Don't worry. I will get stronger. I will make sure that rucking is one of the bigger parts of my fitness journey as I get older and go through everything. But man, just as a generic way, I guess, to start off this interview is anytime I have somebody on my podcast that served in the military, I'm always curious as to kind of how you got to that place in your life to where you're like, hey, I want to go ahead and serve. Because for me, myself, and a lot of guys in my audience, we didn't serve. We, we did not sign on the dotted line to protect this country potentially with our lives. And so even though I grew up in Lawton Fort Sill in Oklahoma and, you know, artillery base, so I was around a bunch of army guys, it was just not the path I went. Let's just start there. What made you decide that you wanted to join the military? And how about you take us into how you decide that you wanted to be a Green Beret? Yeah, I mean, you know, military service is a family business in a lot of ways. It, it was not really the case for, for me. Um, my grandfather, coincidentally graduated from uh, artillery artillery officer school at, at Fort Sill. There you and then go. Went to Korea, but he literally never talked about it. And there's that kind of generation of, of predominantly men, right? There was a lot of, a lot, lot of women served in, in other capacities, but in kind of the fight in the wars, it felt like, um, you know, it was, it was the men that were, that were doing that. And he never talked about it. And it was not something that I envisioned myself doing throughout high school it was not something I envisioned myself doing through college. And I say that to say that so much of life is timing about where you are and, right. and what you're doing with your life and what you would have to sacrifice in order to serve. And so, you know, I graduated from college in 2001, May, right? And I kind of didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And then the towers fell in, in September of that same year. So just a few months later, and then it was very clear that I needed to serve my country in, in that capacity. Now, knowing that and doing it are, are different things. Right, it was right. something that, you know, it's an honorable thing I'm in, in every way to say, hey, my country's at war, I, I wanna go fight. But the process of actually doing that, it, it took some time. And I applied to a lot of different places. I applied to the agency and the FBI and all those kinds of places first. And then, you know, also applied to officer candidate school and, and all of that stuff. And went through that process, which was, you know, at that time, a lot of people wanted to serve our country. And so it was, it was harder to get in than you might think. Okay. Like, you know, there's that line about go to war or go to jail. Like, that's not what I found. I gotcha. found, I found really, really smart, really motivated Americans signing up in droves because they wanted to serve their country. And, and that was, that was a great, great, reaffirmation of my love of country was the people that I met doing that. But without 9-11, I wouldn't have done it. Now, the thing is, is that it took, because I went through these other hiring processes and, and, you know, eventually the, I remember reading the, the killer elite in the Rolling Stone, which became Generation Kill, if you, if you know that, about the recon Marines that, that went right. into yeah. Afghanistan, sorry, they went into and took Baghdad. I'm sorry, because the horse soldiers were Afghanistan. Sorry. Right, right. And and I was like, man, the wars are passing me by. I will regret this for the rest of my life if I don't join right now. And so I basically went down to a, a recruiter and enlisted, 
you know, very shortly thereafter and shipped off in October of 2003 to, to basic training. And I, I had a, a, so instead of going the officer route, which is levels mandated by Congress, it was hard to get a slot. They, they needed to expand the, the enlisted rank. So I just went in with a guaranteed slots, so called an 18 x-ray contract to, to the various phases of, of special forces. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to pass. Right. Right. So I still had to pass those. And, and that was, you know, that took two and a half years to get through the whole pipeline between basic training to airborne school to Fort Bragg. And, you know, the, the, the special force qualification courses is many phases. And, and so got to my team at 10th special forces group out at Fort Carson, Colorado in 2006, went basically straight to Iraq in early 2007 was there for the, the majority of that year and then did some time in, in West Africa and in, in Europe. And then I got out in, in 2008 and again, kind of didn't know what I was going to do with my life, right. but was, was going to kind of figure it out. Hey, we all have to figure it out at some point. And I, I'm so glad you got into a lot of the detail there with how you kind of got into all this and why you chose the path that you did and how 9-11 was kind of a turning point for you. Because for me, I was in 10th grade and I remember a buddy of mine that sat in front of me in class. He came in from a dentist appointment. He said, hey, America's under attack. And I thought he was pulling my leg. So I like made him go up to the teacher's desk and like ask her with me. And so we could confirm that it was happening. And I remember what that was like. And I wonder what my life would have been like if I had been a little bit older and not been, you know, basically in high school at the time. But for you, I think to kind of fast forward, because you did sort of tee this up a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the situation in Afghanistan, because I know for you uh, in serving as a Green Beret, you never served in a combat role in Afghanistan, but I know that you know people that did. Uh, you know people that ha have been lost to the military community because they were killed over there in Afghanistan. And then you see the United States, what we did last year when we pulled out from Afghanistan, and that creates a lot of issues for people, creates a lot of emotions for a lot of different folks. So I'm just curious for you, knowing what you know, having served the way that you served and being around the people that you've been around, what are your thoughts? on how America acted during last year when we pulled out of Afghanistan. Yeah, I can feel my stress levels going up. And I think it's an important, it's an important question to, to talk about. So, you know, I want to put this in a broader context of the last two years. There's been a lot of stress on people. It's been hard. And, you know, part of me has been the, the virus and the quarantining and all of that. Like that stuff, frankly, did not stress me out. Okay. Right. It was like, oh, this is deployment life. Good. Right. You know, cut, cut your hair. One less thing to worry about. Go right. outside, right. play with your kids, simpler life. And I'm like, you know, trying to show people that this this is going to be OK. Right. Because because it is and it was and and we're going to fight through this. It's going to be OK. The, the interesting thing was I'm not a huge health technology. Like I don't I don't have I don't main vein technology into everything I do from fitness or whatever. But my, my watch actually records my stress levels. And when I look at them over the course of the last two years, basically the only bump in there is with the pullout from Afghanistan. Wow. And okay. it was, you know, it, there was just a lot of chatter in the groups that like my friends, brothers in arms. And there was a lot, lot of, of just emotional stress reactions that a lot of us had. I mean, at some point I, I signed up to go fight in Afghanistan. I, I got, I got my war on in, in Iraq and, you know, at some point it kind of started to feel like the global war on terror because that's what it was always dubbed as. So it felt 
like a kin- Iraq and Afghanistan will always be interconnected. For those of us who fought in one, the emotional ties to the other are are strong. Just because that's the community we, we shed blood in both, and it was the same community doing that. And and so you know, it was it was really really stressful. And I'll tell you why it was stressful, um, and because I've had a little bit of hindsight to look back on, but there was no definition of success. There was no kind of from leadership. I mean, as simple as do we want to have a, an embassy in Afghanistan? Yes or no? Right. If you, if you want to have an embassy, you have to have some support structure. We, we did not have to just give everything up and look like clowns doing it. And, and that's what we did. We looked like amateurs. You know, it's, it's like how we view Russia looking right now in the Ukraine. You know, that's how we looked to, to ourselves. In, in the in the pullout of Afghanistan, like, hey, here's the keys, right? I mean, we knew, we knew that that the local Afghan military was not going to be able to to sustain this without us. I mean, we had we had Bagram, we built it up. It was this enormous logistical hub. It's it's um, you know, it's not the most strategic piece of property on the whole globe, but we had it. We had it all the infrastructure. If you want to keep an embassy, you have to keep Bagram up and operational. You know, you don't have to pull everybody out. Right. Like why pull everybody out? Special forces are designed to leave, to, to be in certain places, to work by, with, and through local partner forces. You can achieve if you're, if you're in state is let's, let's maintain some degree of, of foothold, AKA stability on this country. You, you can't be a, we can't keep the peace forever. But there just wasn't that. It was just nobody nobody made a, a case for it that any of us understood. And so it just looked like the, the politicians were making very poor decisions. And we have a history is replete with all sorts of politicians doing this. And this is just one in that long list of, of those from Vietnam to to this, you know. And it just, that was really stressful because, you know, I know what it's like to work with the local Afghans that you that you train with and you fight with and you go out on missions with. And I did that in Iraq and you get close with them and all of a sudden, you know, they're I mean, they're fighting like they are fighting for the same mission objectives that you are. And it just felt like a betrayal to, to too many who were there. And it felt unnecessary is really what it felt like and and that's that's the that's the part where it's just it's illogical we did not need to go that specific route no we certainly didn't need to do that and here's the thing when you talk to someone that's like a a real dyed in the wool biden supporter and you ask them like hey can you give us a, a reason for this pullout they can't give you a real reason they they just they're very very confused and the same thing is true for the people that were on the ground i talked to people that were on the ground as the country was falling and everyone was just very confused they're like what's the strategy here what exactly are we trying to do and here's the thing is you might be like oh maybe someone's playing 4d chess in the white house and they're, and they're really this is going to be a, a great thing for us in the future and history is going to look back on this time and we're going to look like the geniuses but the longer or i guess the further and further we get away from last summer the the worse this looks it's bad for the Afghan people. It's bad for us as Americans. It's bad for us on the world stage. And and look right uh, like what's going on right now in the Ukraine. And so, I mean, we're not going to be spending a whole lot of time talking about that. But we have the same people in the White House and the same people in the administration that are trying to help deal with that situation, which kind of gets into this whole concept of the United States being the world's police. Right. Like Team America, like we're going to go and defend some other country's borders, even though we don't even defend our own, which, you know, that's, a, I guess, another question and another discussion for another day. But there is this perception out there. 
that the United States is always going to be the one that's sending over troops to deal with other conflicts and maybe that we're going to set up bases and chill in that country for a long period of time. And, you know, there's people that are like, don't do that. Don't play into the military industrial complex. And then you have other people that are war hawks and they're like, yeah, let's send people over there. Let's let's have our 18, 19 and 20 year olds go over there and die for somebody else's war. It creates a lot of consternation for people. And so what's your perspective on that perception that we are or need to be the world's police? So those are two different things. Perception is is part of it. I, look, I think let's let's go back to my my criticism on Afghanistan and that pull out. It's like define success. Right. What is success? And then you can back into the solution. We did this in the early days of Afghanistan in 2001, right? We said, you know, th- this cannot support a major military operation. Send in the Green Berets because we need to have a first response and it needs to happen fast because perception mattered there, right? Yep. And so what happened was we worked with a very small footprint. You trust the guy on the ground and worked by, with, and through the Northern Alliance to defeat the Taliban with the Air Force, God bless them, in the boneyard of the Soviet Empire. We did that in under two months, right? In the boneyard of the Soviet Empire, right? Yeah. And so- are we willing to, what risk are we willing to assume to achieve what desired in state? Because once you start turning into, hey, I've got to go house to house in urban combat, and then I've got to maintain that ground, which means you've got to secure it, and then you move to another part of town, and you've got to go house to house and clear it, you are getting into very murky, very messy, very dirty warfare that will result in a lot of loss. A lot of, lot of death, a lot of casualties. It's just, it's, that's, that's the horrific part of war. When I start to say, when I, when I look at the Ukraine, like that is 10 special forces group where I serve. There is a forward um, battalion in Stuttgart, right? That is there to, to combat communists. Like the, the first of the 10 special forces group has been working with and other national guard units and other have been working with Ukrainian soldiers since you know crimea was taken especially in all of this like teaching them how to use certain weapons and so this is a classic special forces mission like to now when you start getting into what should the big footprint be should we send ground troops into ukraine i would say no like that's you're gonna get locked into a land war in the ukraine against russia that's that's messy now if you start to say should we run a classic special forces mission in ukraine yeah, I think we should, right? But that's because I understand the risk is the risk is minimal and and the men taking the risk are willing to assume those risks. And you know, one of the things that has been clear to me with Putin is the clarity of you you can't run around anymore and say, "Oh, well Putin's actually kind of a nice guy and might be on our side." Like right. he's not on our side. He's not that this is this is not the case. Right. And he's also not crazy. Like I can't stand when people are like, oh, the guy's crazy. He's clearly off his rocker. The dude might be evil, but he's he's not crazy. He doesn't seem like he's completely lost his sensibilities, you know? Yeah, no, I mean he's he's an autocrat though. And, right. And so yeah. what what risks are we willing to assume in order to thwart his influence? And and oh by the way, China's watching. That's so right. So how do we how do we kind of, we have to assume some risks. So you have to define success, right? And if you say, look, we're basically not willing to launch a ground war into the Ukraine. Like we don't necessarily want to say these things, but we need to know them, right? And oh, okay, you know, no fly zones in all this. Like here is a, here is a, I was talking to a buddy 
just just yesterday afternoon, right? And he was of the mindset like we should absolutely establish a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Now I'm going to remove some of the the collateral damage from this because when you take a step back, you have to look this almost dispassionately, almost right. Humanity, you, you weigh this, but you say, okay, in terms of warfare, you say, okay, should we take should we stray 40 miles of tanks and all of this stuff and, and like really say, hey, the skies are, are ours and th- that's, the, that's the, the line in the sand that we're drawing? Or what is, what is worse for Russia? Is it worse that we, we send in stinger missiles to take out anything that flies? Is it worse that we send in javelins to take out tanks? Like what, I mean, that is, that is a terrible proposition as a a pilot or as a tank commander or as anything. I mean, that is morale plummeting. If you if you are arming the local population with anti-tank, anti-aircraft weapons, I mean, that will zap morale faster than anything. And then you're what? You're going to have to still send in ground troops to take over cities and hold it and against a population that will fight against you. So look, I, I don't have any problem with unconventional warfare in this case, because I think that it is an acceptable, an acceptable risk that we can take for maximum, maximum, you know, outcomes that we would desire in this case. I I don't think we want to send in the 82nd and fight a ground war there. I just think there's so many better ways to do it from a classic army special forces, Green Beret, by, with, and through unconventional warfare. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like we could spend the rest of our time on this and maybe we can get into this on a, later on in the podcast or maybe even later uh, down the road on another podcast. But I do find it interesting how a lot of people went from being expert epidemiologists when it comes to viruses to being experts on the situation between Ukraine and Russia. Because here's the deal. I've watched hours and, and listened to hours worth of, of videos and podcasts about the situation, about the history of everything going on in that area. And I'm still mega confused as to kind of what's going on. And we don't really know exactly what's going on on the ground. And then you have these people over here that are just, no matter what, we got to have a no-fly zone. We got to send in troops. And they're so sure of it. I'm just like, how in the world can you possibly be be this sure of it? And I got to say, I'm just less than enthused, I guess, with the people in the White House and people you know, at the levers of power that are going to be making the decisions about how we as Americans can help figure out this situation. But, you know, We'll, we'll kind of get off that subject and move into something else. But uh, you, earlier in this conversation, you, you mentioned the year 2008, which was a watershed year for you because in 2008, you're still in special forces and your wife, Emily, was at the CIA. So you're doing the Lord's work, but you guys decided collectively that you were going to start a backpack company. So without really any experience in manufacturing or making products or getting them to market or anything like that, you decide that's what you're going to do. So I guess just take me through that. Where in the world did you guys come up with the idea that, hey, you know what? We're going to get out of this work, this line of work that we're doing right now, and we're going to make the world's best rucksack. I mean, dude, just take me through that, please. Yeah, like worst idea ever, right? It could be, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I was visiting Emily in West Africa. She was posted there as a, you know, diplomatic cover, but she was a case officer for for the CIA. And, you know, they love a good coup in Africa. Right. It just sort of you you go to war in Iraq or Afghanistan, you get all, you know, kitted up, you get your gun truck, you know, you're at war. It's kind of a switch that you flip inside of your head over there, man. It can just sort of come out of nowhere. And it's it's chaos in a different way. 
it's almost feels riskier mm-hmm. if that makes if that makes sense yeah. right yeah but i was there for a month 30 days leave right in between uh, over christmas break 2007 in, into 2008 and you know i just made her a couple go bags right and a go bag was hey put some extra stuff in this keep it in your car with you keep this one at the house just to, just so that you know where certain stuff is whether it's medical supplies or you know radios or a pair of running shoes in case you're you're out and you need shoes that you can you know move move in stuff like that right um and you know it's like i was getting out of the army not because i wanted to get out but because i wanted to i wanted to finally after five years of marriage live with my wife and it just we couldn't make that work army and and the agency so the big plan was to transition over and and work at at the company at at the agency i should say and and so i was like all right what should i do when I move here, because she had her posting, what should I do when I move here? And we were just thinking about it. And, you know, house husband thing is not really a great, like, I, I got to have something else to do, <laughs> right. you know? I mean, God, God bless the people that can. It's just, that's not me. And she's like, oh, you should do the go ruck thing. And what it basically meant was, you know, you should teach people, train them on what go bags are and, and kind of up people's security or, you know, mindset training or whatever. And, and like do that for a year in West Africa. And then we would come back to DC and, and whatever. And, and, you know, it just kind of one thing led to another because I was using old packs, right, that I had, had and I made them for her. It's like, oh, I don't really like these, these packs that much. Maybe it like, can't be that hard. <laughs> How about we just do our own, right? Right, right. And so that whole process, man, it's like, it, it just, then it just kind of kept, it, it, it wasn't what I immediately wanted to do with my life just because we had this idea. It was more like a hobby to keep me busy because I have to be kept busy, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and so one thing led to another and it's like, all right, well, I guess I need to find a backpack designer because I have a couple ideas, right? It's like this, this, this ruck should thrive in war, but it should also thrive in New York City you know? And, and so it's like, okay, backpack designer. So I put an ad in Craigslist, New York city for a backpack designer and eventually found this crew in Montana that helped me design them. And, you know, that took two and a half years because there was nobody breathing down my neck about, you know, what's the the target deadline. And it just, it was came out when it's ready. And so it took a, a long time. And then, you know, it took so long that the original application was not holding true anymore, like go to West Africa and fill this with stuff. And it's really expensive. So kind of figuring out the business model, it's like putting the building the aircraft in in flight, you know? Right. And the cool thing about it is you actually wrote an entire book detailing the failures that you went through early on in the business, which I just got to say, I love that you've done that. That shows that you have some humility there. You can cut, you don't take yourself too seriously. You can have a little humor about your situation and guys, we'll make sure that book is in the show notes so you can go and check it out for yourself. But 2010 really was a turning point for you and the business because you ran into some resistance immediately when you got into this space. You know, uh, there were a lot of competitors, you know, Hey, you know, nobody rucks outside the military. No one's going to do rucking for exercise. You know, you were just this small fish in this enormous pond seemingly. But the thing about it was, is at this time, nobody was really buying the rucks and all of your personal capital was taken up in inventory. And that is a horrible place to be when you've got all this inventory that doesn't want to move and nobody wants it. So Jason, to be honest, that seemed like a really good place for you to maybe try and cut your losses you know, maybe pivot away and do something different, make another career move, but you didn't do that. 
you stuck with the plan and from the outside looking in, it looked like you took a faith step to be like, you know what? I know it doesn't seem like it's working right now, but I feel like we're on the cusp of something. So take me through that. Yeah. So it was still kind of a hobby for me. I mean, the, the hardest thing to fight against is just apathy. Like nobody cares about, nobody cares about your little project, man. Yeah. Nobody cares. Right. Right. And inertia of the universe is a really powerful thing. Trying to fight that, good luck, right? You better come up with something and you better you better keep after it. You better chase the energy in the room or the energy in the universe because it's not going to just, they don't, they don't just give away, you know, conquering the world for free, you know? Um, so I was fortunate because thanks to the U.S. taxpayer, I had the post 9-11 GI Bill and the veteran transition is a hard thing. And I was grateful for that opportunity because the, the U.S. taxpayer paid for me to go back to business school. And, you know, I had to apply and go through all of that stuff. And, and I got in and I was in D.C. going to business school. So I had this kind of, hey, I'm in business school from 2009 until the summer of 2011. May is when I was going to graduate. And there in the middle is when I finally started to get the product in towards the end of my first year. And I thought people were going to buy it because I had this idea in my head that these are really great things. And I knew we had done everything to make them great, but the inertia of the universe, nobody had heard of us. Nobody it's like, wait, what it costs $300 for a, for a bag. You know, I can go buy that at Walmart for 20 bucks. It's like, yeah, you you'll get what you pay for. But I had to learn how to say that. Right. And how to cut through the, the, the noise of the universe. And basically, I didn't know anything about Google AdWords. I didn't know anything about Facebook ads. I don't know anything about any of that stuff, right? My only training was was in as a Green Beret in my professional career. And so I start, what I did know was how to train others, how to whoop it on. I knew how to ruck. I knew how to, you know, encourage and get people to embrace the suck. I knew how to push people past their limits. I knew how to build teams, right? I'm like, great, I'll, I'll do that. And so I started this thing called the Go Ruck Challenge. And it was basically led by me, current and former special forces. And before you know it, I had my buddies running them as well. But let's show up on a street corner. Your rucksack's going to have, we're going we're gonna to stuff it with bricks. And we're going to go on this team building challenge together. And, and that was, you know, there was no published route. There was no, details not forthcoming. It's done when it's done. I, I'm not going to promise you where you're going to end or what's how long this is going to take. Clear your schedule, you know, and it was just some pipe hitter fight club shit, man. And that was just the total energy in the room. And the numbers were small. I mean, my first class, was like 12 people. My second class was six people, you know. Right. And but it started to kind of like, wait, what is this? I mean, you're meeting at a street corner, uh, you know, a street corner in D.C. or New York or San Francisco at one in the morning and like 12, 14 hours later, you're done with this awesome challenge. And it's, you know, it's nothing that you can't do because you're part of a team and nobody could do that by themselves. And, and so, you know, it's just me kind of posing challenges, hurry up, slow down, carry this, carry them. You got casualties, you know, carry your rucks without the straps, do, do you know, pick that up, you know, drag this thing. And then we talk about why, Hey, you're the team leader. You're in charge of your team, right? Communicate. You've got to do that. You've got to learn how to lead. You got to learn how to follow. Like, if you, if you bicker, one of my big rules was if you bicker against yourselves, we're going to stop here and we're going to, we're going to do PT for an hour. And that's just tacked on to the end. Like there, there's no <laughs> right. shortening of the event. It's just going to cost you an hour. Right. So don't bicker that, that doesn't help teams, right? You got to learn how to communicate 
together in times of stress. And, and basically, it's pretty rare in the universe now when someone's willing to come out with these kind of rites of passage for people and, and hold that line where, you know, everybody wants to wants you to just buy something. Hey, buy this. And then you'll feel like you did something like, no, that's not how the world works. Let me show you what it feels like when you actually earn something. So anyway, I'm, I'm going down this because I get I get motivated thinking about no, it. No, that's good. Get it. But, but you've got, you know, so then we had this manufacturing side of, of the rucks and we had this this energy side of the events. And it was just kind of combining those. And that became Go Ruck. And, and Go Ruck was before, you know, it, we're putting on a thousand events a year like this all over the country and the world led by current and former special forces guys, special operations guys, actually, because it's it's all the services, all, all the branches and even some international guys. And, you know, the, the thing that we like to say we were doing is building better Americans, right? It's about, you know, your, your team. It's about pushing through your limits. It's about all these things, you know, that, that we all need more of in our life. Do, do hard stuff. And that was a mission that I could really get behind because there's community and there's, you know, the idea of, of starting a backpack company and, and, and peddling backpacks for the rest of my life, like I just, uh, that's just not my calling in life, right? Build a better business and this, my widget's better than your widget and, you know, all this stuff. Like I, it's, I'm just not built for that, especially after the way that I served our country after 9-11. And I just wanted it to all mean more. And I felt like because, because of the service that I'd had and because of the people that I met and, and I, I owe them, I, I still owe them and I will always owe them. It's the guys that taught me what I was capable of. They taught me what we could do together. They taught me how to stay alive. You know, they gave me these great gifts of how to be a better, a better person. And I, I don't want to waste those gifts. I want to, I want to give those back to, to others and stand for something that's really important to me. And, and I think is vital to our, our country and our way of life. So that's what we, that's what we wrap in and bake into all, everything that we do at Go Ruck. Dude, that's so awesome. It actually reminds me of a quote from your bio page on the Go Ruck website that I just jotted down here just a while ago. And it's this, when you survive the things that we have and your inspiration in life becomes normal people doing extraordinary things, what you realize is that you don't owe less, you owe more. And that really goes into these go rug challenges that you brought up, these events that people, you know, train for. They base, you know, their their entire training regimen and parts of their life and their diet and everything around being able to go out and do these things. But I got some breaking news for you, Jason. I don't know if you know this, but America and Americans in general are really, really fat. That <laughs> they're just not terribly motivated. They don't want to be in shape. It's like it's like you're constantly surrounded, because I know I certainly am by these people that are just waiting on the inspiration and motivation bug to sting them. And then they'll get in shape and then they'll clean up their diet and then they'll get out and do exercise. And so I guess whenever I look out and I survey what's going on in America and in the world, I get pretty, pretty sad about it. I don't really have this optimism that we're going to be able to get out of that. And in the, the environment that you live in, you're constantly surrounded by people that are getting after it, but it's still kind of a sad state of affairs in, in the country. I guess I don't really have a question. Just Go with that wherever you want to. Okay. So we need to take this up a notch, right? Okay. And when you look back at the last two years, this is the greatest assault on community and social fitness that has ever existed in the history of civilization. Never before has it been even possible 
to tell people to just distance themselves or to hide behind Zoom all the time or to do everything in an impersonal way. And the problem is, is that you actually desensitize yourself to other human beings when all you do is see them on a screen, right? So even people that you know or you used to work with or whatever, over time, when you don't live in the real world with other people, you stop behaving like a human being. And so I, I can tell you, we, we can get to why rocking is great and all that stuff, but but ultimately what I believe in is community and I believe in social fitness. And I believe that that's the greatest accountability that we can have. This is not from a position of weakness, like I need other people and that makes me weak. This mm. is from a position of strength. Like sure. we yep. are stronger together because every weekend in my driveway, we I have guys, over, guys and gals from just the, the hood, you know, at 3.30 both days, we toss some sandbags or go for a rock or, or do something together. We talk about our lot. We get strong, you know, it's good for our hearts. It's good for our souls. It's good for our minds, all that stuff. And when we're done, we, we sort of shoot the shit. We drink some beers. We talk about, talk about the world, talk about whatever the case may be. And when we start to look at health, right, people try to isolate it because marketers are really good at this. The marketers have never been, been better, right? They're selling easy all day long. Buy this thing because we have so much money, right? <laughs> yeah. And the problem is, is that, and, and I'll get to, I'm, I'm not, I'm a glass all 99% full kind of guy, but, but it's important to kind of diagnose the, the problems here, right? And we have so much money and it is so easy to buy stuff and yet we have to lead examined lives. And when we do this, if you look at that, there is no correlation between more money and more happiness. Once you get to a certain threshold, right. you can take care of basic Maslow's hierarchy mm -hmm. of needs. It doesn't happen. And so I have to remind myself this all the time, right? Like, you know, GoRuck's double or it's triple in size or how do we get there faster and all this stuff? Like, I enjoy the process because I enjoy the mission. And I enjoy the people I work with. And at some point, the outcomes come what may. But but what I love is the people that I get to do this with. And so I need the accountability on, you know, the the social fitness side of if if they didn't show up in my driveway or we didn't have that planned, I would I would not do it as often. I don't I don't love to wake up so early in the morning, eat nails and toss sandbags by myself. I don't want to do that by myself on Saturday afternoons. I lose the motivation. I do other stuff. I'm an active guy, right? Um, because I know how it, it makes me feel better. And by the way, it makes everybody right. feel better. Yep. So get your steps in and all these, we know them to be true, right? The accountability that we're missing is it comes from the most basics of basic behaviors that are not for sale. Like this is the problem. We're inundated all day long with everything that's for sale. But you don't need any of that to be healthier, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. you can't you can't choose your parents. I get this. So there's some genetic stuff. And everybody always wants to focus on the exceptions. But I think that we're right to focus on the, the overwhelming majority in, in America, which is, look, we need, to, we need to be more active. And to do that, what works for me is to be more active with other people. And it's better to do this outside. It's better to do this in a place that, you know, with, with the type of activity that I enjoy, that's fun, that I can do with other people. And then 
build that into our routines, build that into our habits and build that into our lives, right? If you've got to walk the dog, you can ruck the dog. You can invite somebody else to come with you. Fitness and exercise does not have to be, I get in my car, I drive to the big Globo gym, I, I drive around for 15 minutes looking for a closer spot, right? I, I walk in, I do a 20 minute class, and then I, I get in my car and drive home. Like, it just, it's it's the, it's the lifestyle choices that we make that activity begets activity. Once you start to feel like you're doing better because you're more active, do more stuff, not on your phone. Go do more stuff with other people in the real world. How about, how about start there? And you, there's lots of different ways that you can do that, but we need each other is ultimately the part of it. We need to start behaving like we need each other because we do. Right. I mean, you brought up so many great things there. So I want to try to you know unpack them and ask some follow-ups, but you know, with the pandemic, there there were a lot of guys that, you know, worked out at the Globo gyms and did that kind of thing that as soon as their gym closed down, they didn't know how to be in shape anymore, seemingly. It's like, they're all, you know, how do I work out now? And I told a lot of people that because, you know, I've had a home gym at my house basically ever since we built it. But for the first three, four weeks that we lived here, I didn't have my gym set up. And so I didn't want to lose kind of all the progress I had made, especially with things like pull-ups, which are, you know, not the easiest thing in the world for me that I had to really develop and get better at. And so for the first three or four weeks I was living at our new house, I was doing pull-ups on a tree in the neighbor's yard. Because there was this big, thick branch that came out, you know, horizontal to the ground. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to do pull-ups on that. So with, you know, the human body and Mother Earth, you can really, really get after it. But a lot of people just don't really think that way. And it really gets into this whole lost sense of community because you yeah, brought up uh, community there. Yeah, it goes back to the book Bowling Alone, which was written about 20 years ago. And, you know, for my wife and I, we're, we're pretty concerned about this because we have two kids now that are below the age of two, two boys. And I see as I look out on everything, I see this devolving of America. I see entire generations of entitled kids that have no idea where their rights came uh, come from and you know what you know anyone had to sacrifice before them they think history started the day that they were born I see the weakening of the military you know with the changing of standards so more people can get in and this overwhelming focus on diversity equity and inclusion and not necessarily on lethality we can't seemingly talk about the great American experiment or the American spirit or the American way, you know, we have to always look at our own country as like, it's this negative thing that we can't really talk about it. Or if we do, we have to talk in these hushed tones because we're so ashamed. So I guess what I'm asking you, Jason is, do you see what you're doing day in and day out helping with that, helping with this idea that look, when you have a strong community, the, the way everyone votes and what everybody thinks about this issue or that issue, it doesn't really matter as much. It matters about us all being collectively healthy and healthy as, you know, this greater community. I think the solution for more of us is, is do what we can with what we have where we are and start leading from the damn front. Like live the life that you want to lead instead of just spreading all the toxicity all over Facebook and all of this stuff, right? It's like, just lead the life and show people the way. And when we do that, it gives them permission to also lead that life, right? Because to a lot of people, man, like you, you have to have a, a degree of, of self-confidence to go do things that other people are not doing. And, and if it looks weird, oh man, I don't want to, you know, go get dirty in the park or I don't want to like, I need to have my pull-up bar perfect. I can't go do it here. It's like, but when we show people that this can be simpler, right, it gives them license and permission to do that. And so at GORUCK, I mean, this is why I'm here, right? This is, this is, I've found my calling in life, you know, and, and it's, it's, it goes back to what I was taught as a Green Beret. 
you you live together, you eat together, you get to know the people, you fight together, you bleed together, you die together, you you treat others around you well. You try to, I mean, Green Berets build, we build the best armies. We, we aren't the best army, we're too small, right? But we lead through influence and actions and supporting others. And and so, look, we have 500 go-ruck clubs around the country and around the world. It's people getting together for social fitness and community. And, and like, when you hear the word community, here's, here's, like, Facebook has stolen these words. Friends, community. These are not friends. These are not communities. These are forums and these are avatars with, with listed names on them. And that's why people behave so horribly to each other on these forums. You could never behave like that. When, when we were in sort of the tribal societies, which are not that far back, right? You had to share defense. You had to share food. Now everything is just, I'm for individual rights. I'm for freedom, right? I'm for these things. The thing is, is that we're, we're confusing that too often with just because you can lead a private life, you can, you can box yourself up and hold yourself away, doesn't mean that it's good for you. And each of us needs to, to, to take these choices to be with our families, our tribes, our neighborhoods, our communities, and strengthen them by meeting up with them and getting to know them. And, and you know, when we run our events or have our events in the field or whatever the case it may be, like, I don't care if you're black, white, young, old, male, female, gay, straight, purple, polka dotted, pink, whatever, right? If you're here, then you're part of the team. Right. And that's what we do. And what I find is that, I mean, there are people that show up to these events who are to the right of Genghis Khan and to the left of Michael Moore. And before you know it, they're they're actually talking to each other like like rational human beings. Mm -hmm. And it's great. And this is it, it reaffirms all those human values that are that are just inside of us that we forget when we just live on the on, on the metaverse, a.k.a. the devil. Absolutely. And and really, it comes from doing hard stuff together because that's what forges you, you personally, but also as a community. I mean, for the last five years or so, I've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And here's the deal. I've gone through some horrifically tough training sessions with a lot of my brothers that I train with. And here's the thing. I know a lot about who these men are. But I don't know as much about the stuff that maybe isn't as important. I don't know about their opinions on obscure political topics or their favorite book they've ever read or any stuff like that. But I know who they are when the chips are down. I know who they are on the inside because I've seen them in these horrible situations be able to operate and do really, really good things. It goes back to a concept we talk about here at Undaunted Life called the foxhole. It's having people in your life that are constantly pushing you to be spiritually, mentally, and physically resilient on a daily basis. And right, and you do that by getting together to do these hard things. But here we are, you know, 45 minutes into the podcast. I guess we should talk about rucking at some point because that's really one of the main reasons why you're here. I guess let's just kind of get real generic with rucking because Rucking is something that some people do. A lot of people kind of forget it. They don't really think about it. What are the benefits of rucking? You know, let's talk about anything you, you want to talk about. So let's just talk rucking. Yeah, I mean, look, humans are built to carry weight. This is, you know, you, you read about, you know, oh, we were jogging or running after game and we hunt them and do all this stuff, like hunter-gatherer phase. Well, at some point you have to carry stuff, mm -hmm. right? You have to put it on your back. And then when, when the military's evolved, you, you definitely want, on, want it on your back because you need your hands free to fight. You have to carry weapons. You have to carry whatever, right? I mean, this has been an evolution of, of, of man to carry weight on our back and, and to move. And, and so fast forward to today. I mean, the virtues of walking are basically endless. We all know this, right? 
the problem with walking is that it, it's it's kind of boring or it's not sexy or it's you know it takes a lot of time or there's a million excuses the society's not built for walkers like it's built for cars and all of it like there's a million different excuses right but if you take walking and say okay going outside getting some steps in that's that's a good thing right there's nobody on planet earth that's going to say don't do that mm -hmm. you know and so the thing about rucking is all of these things all of these things that are so good about walking rucking you you also get posture correction because you know you put the ruck on your your text neck comes back your shoulders go back right you're you get strength gains so it's resist active resistance training it's it's all these things are heart healthy right i mean all these kinds of forms of exercise are very heart healthy i mean running is heart healthy walking is heart healthy rucking is heart healthy jiu jitsu all these forms of exercise are all really good for our hearts the question is is like how do we not get injured how do we become more durable how do we do those kinds of things so that we can stay in the fight of of doing the you know being more active and and the injury rate on rucking is is basically fractional to anything else mm -hmm. i mean and and you'll hear some people in the military right because i can i can feel it right now. They're like, right. man, I got yeah. jacked up from rucking. Like, okay, in the military, you put 125 pounds on your back, you jump right. out of an airplane, yeah. you land with said rucksack, then you hump that for days on end, you're digging fighting positions and all. It's like the whole lifestyle there, which is getting smarter, but not but but not super fast. It's getting smarter some of in some ways. I'm talking about go outside with 20 or 30 or 45 pounds on your back and go for a walk for an hour. You can take a conference call. You can ruck the dog. You can ruck with your kids. You can ruck with people who are completely different ability levels. If if you're new to rucking and you've got 30 pounds and I've been doing this forever and 45 is my sweet spot, maybe we go out and we're at the same pace and you know, like we can still talk when we do it. There's a social element to this that you just don't find with with jogging or you know a lot of these other uh, solitary ways to to stay heart healthy and what we were talking about earlier right mental health physical health social mm -hmm. health like i don't I, I only have 24 hours in a day you know like same same with all of us by the way right so yeah. i try to i try to get as much cram as much as i can into that that sort of serves these three and i'm, I'm going to put spiritual health in with mental health right like those are those are connected to me and and but they're all connected you know, and so if I can go out with a friend and get some exercise, sometimes it's my dog monster and get some exercise and heart healthy and it's 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 functionally I can do this all of the time. There there no kind of this isn't complicated. I don't have to drive places. I don't have to take a class. I don't have to do this. And the easy button that's being sold now is, you know, sign up for this fitness subscription and do it on your phone and stare at your phone. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like it's it's heart healthy, it is. So people will sell it as this is healthy for you, right? But mental health depends upon both social and spiritual health. And if you're only focused on the physical health, when are you getting that social health? When are you going outside? When are you doing those kinds of things? If you're just gonna stare at your phone all the time, like we're staring at our phones on Zoom and Hangouts all day. And then we're, we're so that we're, we're getting our money's worth out of our fitness subscription apps. We're, we're you know, Mr. Spandex is, is, is encouraging us to pedal faster. Come on, do it, do it guys. Like it's lame, man. Like ditch the spandex, put a ruck on your back, 
go outside in, in, in the free air that we have in this country and, and like see how that works for you. It's, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it really is an amazing value proposition. And here's the deal. Because of advancements in technology, Jason, that's how you and I are talking right now. But, but, but the thing about it is, is if this was all you and I had in terms of connection, that would be a problem. And guys, if you're just connecting with people via technology, that's not really a great thing. And here's the thing. I want to key in on something that you, you said earlier, because, you know, we can spend all day talking about technology, but let's, let's move on to some more important topics. But you talked about spiritual health overall. Right. And here's the thing in, in our current society, there's a lot of talk about spiritual stuff, but people really don't like to get specific. Right. So they're like, oh, this is a faith based program. And then it's like, OK, well, which faith? Because, I mean, a lot of people think that these faiths are all fundamentally the same and, you know, just, you know, different in small ways, but it's the exact opposite. They're, you know, fundamentally different in some of these massive, massive, massive ways. And so for you personally, you know, Jason McCarthy, if you had to put your flag in the ground and say, hey, this is my spiritual worldview. When I think about my spiritual life and what I believe in and, you know, kind of where you go when you die and all those different things, this is what I believe. What would you say? You know, I was not as, I, I couldn't be as specific before I joined the army. And, you know, I, I've, before you've been on that, that kind of airfield, you're about to, to get on a plane to go somewhere and, you know, you're, you're praying to God to let me carry out this mission and not let the guys to my left and the guys to my right, uh, let me not let them down, Lord, you know? And when you felt that on your, your life and in your heart, like that, that changes you forever. So I believe, I mean, really feeling it, you know, and, and it was an opportunity and a blessing that I had that at, you know, 25 or 26, you know, that I had, and I grew up going to church and some of the time, not all the time. And, you know, my mom worked later in life, worked at the church for, she just retired after 25 years or something there, right? Um, it's been around, right? But I think that the best thing that, the best thing that I did was, was answer the call when it was asked of me. And whether I want to say like, I don't necessarily think the big guy upstairs was like, you write this second, do this or else. It's just... Sometimes the, the hardest thing to do is to, to do the right thing that you know you need to do with your life. Whatever, whatever else the noise is going on, it's like walk your own path, man. Walk your own path. And the trick is to find that path. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, anybody that's walking the path, man, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And so in that path, you know, this, this way presented to me, like, this is not about me. Like I'm a small little speck trying to do God's work here. And, and so that's the, those are the lessons that I, my wife and I both, you know, impart on our, our kids. And we think that that's, that's an important, that's an important thing in our lives. It really is an important thing for people to realize. And, and you really have to kind of get to bedrock because for me, I'm an evangelical Christian, which is going to be a shock to nobody that's been listening to the show for longer than seven seconds. But the thing about it is, is you shouldn't refer to God in such small terms. Like when people are like, oh yeah, you know, God's my homeboy or, you know, the man upstairs. It's like, no, no, like he's the creator God of the universe. He created everything, including you. Let's have some respect. Like let's put some respect on that guy's name, even though I hate that quote. But the thing is, is I do think that all this goes into the intensity conversation because the 
go ruck challenges that happen all year round. They are super intense. And there's that one main one that you do every year. That's crazy intense and almost nobody finishes. And the thing that's so interesting is for a lot of these people, you have to get beyond exhausted mentally and physically with a lot of people before you can ever address spiritual matters. That really happens for a lot of people. And I like whenever I watch the the videos or see the pictures of guys doing the long walk and it's like, it seems like they're connecting uh, spiritually at that moment because they're alone, but they're not alone. And there's kind of this extra layer to everything there. And it really made me think of what Michael Easter talked about in his book, The Comfort Crisis. He's the one that actually connected us. He talked about the Masogi. And these are these really, really hard things that you have like a 50-50 chance of actually completing them. And, you know, with, with the stuff that you've got, you guys have done at GORUCK, you've put a lot of people on the Masogi track of doing these things that they never even fathomed that they could do. But it's just something that y'all are like, no, like we're going to make sure that we're pushing people and pushing them in the right direction because it's going to end up being a net positive. It's going to improve them no matter what. So for you, Jason, do you feel like that is an extra layer? of importance to the stuff that you guys are doing overall, because there are people that are making not only physical and mental breakthroughs, but these, these spiritual breakthroughs with the stuff that they're doing, because you guys have helped put them on a path to where they're really going to get after it. And this is really an entire new lifestyle, a new way of thinking, a new way of operating. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a pity and a shame that so few people are exposed to, to failing something that they care about. And, you know, that's, if you want to succeed more, fail more. Right. Yeah. It's like, how do you find your path? Where are the rites of passage in life anymore? You know, I mean, this, this example from our, from our generation's youth was, man, there were high dives at public pools when I grew up. <laughs> yeah. You would go to the high dive and you're scared. Yep. You're, you're climbing up it. And the girl, that, the cute girl that you, you like is over there. You know, she's probably not watching, but she might. And no, it, and, you think it, she is. You really think definitely, she is. She will definitely be watching if you climb back down that ladder. Yeah, right? that's and right. And you feel the weight of the universe laughing at you, right? I mean, but now, you know, there, where where are we willing to assume some risk? Risk implies that you might fail. Where are we willing to assume this for ourselves? Are we so potentially like just paralyzed by this fear of failure, you know, and you cannot find your path, the path that you're meant to walk on for, for your life. You cannot find it if you're just going along with the inertia of the universe, trying to avoid everything that comes in your way. You just become immune to, to, to your, your, your path, your calling. You gotta, you gotta kind of push it. And, and so I think that when you, when you do get people outside of their comfort zone, I mean, I was way outside of my comfort zone when I went to war, like just straight up. I was afraid to die. It made me question my mortality. It made, I mean, growing up, going to church was exposure really for me, right? You, I, I learned about, I, I learned about God from, you know, the preachers and the pastors and, and, the, the folks that were at church, but it took finding my path for me to really feel the hand of God in my life. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Other people find it many different ways. You know, my wife was a like Christian volunteer in, in Ecuador right out of, it just came to her. She did that right out of college, you know, and, and that was something that, you know, that just came naturally to her. That that didn't come as naturally to me, but 
joining up, joining the army and going and fighting. Right. I mean, that was our team shirt said fist of God on the, on, uh, and it had like a, like a crusader's cross on the back. I mean, that's some meat eater stuff, you know, and that's, that's kind of not allowed to talk about that really, (laughs) you know, I mean, but, but like, look, it was not, I mean, we worked with, we worked with Muslims who were great. Like we, we fought, we fought with them. Like we, we trusted them, you know, not as much as we trusted each other, but we trusted them, but we viewed ourselves with kind of a higher purpose and a higher calling. And that was necessary for us to be able to do our jobs effectively. Yeah. And I've talked to some guys in the spec ops community that have really no biblical worldview or any faith of any kind. And the thing is, is when you talk about a higher calling, I would ask that person, like, what do you mean by higher? Because the thing is, is if we're just highly evolved chimps that learned how to talk and, you know, wear pants and all those different things, then there is no higher calling. I mean, there's no such thing as good or evil because we're just monkeys, right? We can't differentiate between good or evil. And this kind of gets into something that you've mentioned this twice now on this podcast, so I love it. You mentioned rites of passage. And I am literally obsessed with that concept because I have two sons now, so I want to make sure that they know what it means to be a man. But as Americans, we don't really do this. You know, uh, with the exception of some religious sex and, you know, some small groups of people, we don't really usher young men into manhood. And so what it's created is this vacuum that these young men fill with self-actualization. So they get to decide when they've become a man. And so maybe it's, uh, you know, the, the when they move out of the house or the first time they have sex or the, the first time they, they buy their own vehicle or something like that. They get to just kind of self-actualize and be like, oh, I guess I'm a man now. And they just make it up as opposed to a group of men or society telling them, this is now what's expected of you. You are a man now because of these things. Here are these great qualities in you that we need in this community for our men to have. And so this really is like a a very hard nut to crack for fathers. And it's just terrible for our young men because they have no idea. They don't know what it's like uh, to be a man. They don't know what's expected of them. And so it creates these issues for them. And, you know, it's created a masculinity problem. So I I want you to talk about masculinity in general in our society and, you know, how this goes into being a father. And I don't really know what your relationship is like with your dad. I don't really know how you do the dad thing with your kids or anything like that but masculinity is certainly under attack in the culture that we're in right now there's a lot of confusion over what it is what it should be and kind of the direction that we should go so just flow in whatever direction you want to on masculinity right now yeah i mean my relationship with my dad is great um and and my stepdad both both great right but i still view drill sergeant hester as a father figure i mean like it, it was just when when you we can't fake it is basically what this boils down to. Like you might, you might tell yourself you're a man cause you're turned 16 and you've got a car and you're going to drive 120 on the interstate and, and take these kind of reckless risks. Right. But that's because you're trying to prove something and you don't have an outlet to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you can, you're just chasing ghosts, man. You're chasing ghosts. And, and so mentorship and, setting people up to do hard, I mean, the disaffected white Caucasian male in America is a big problem. I mean, go, I mean, the book Fight Club, the movie Fight Club talks all, it's it's like condemning this, you know, or American Psycho. All we want to obsess over is how much our clothes costs and what our Instagram feed looks like. And meanwhile, deep down inside all of us, right, there is this need to prove ourselves and to do hard things. It just, it is primordial and it is fundamental and we are ignoring that to our peril and so 
you know, how do we, how do we do this without being angry though? You know, like how do we do this in a way where we can inspire people to take on these hard challenges, these misogi and, and it's, we kind of guide them in that process and it's, we don't just send them out like, Hey, you're 16. Here you go. Keys to the car, you know, go figure out your life. Like you, you, you got to prove things to yourself, right? That's, that's the dirty little secret about all the posturing that happens and all the, the peacocking that happens all over the place. Look at me, right? The people that are saying, look at me, they just, they're missing something. They're just missing it. And they're chasing those ghosts and they will continue to chase those ghosts until they figure out what their path is supposed to be. And they start walking down that path because that path is hard. And when you, when you keep doing that and you, you're, you're sustaining that path and there are checkpoints along the way and you're forced to do hard things, like you, you got to remember how to, how to, what it's like to, to, to fail, what it's like to, to, to take on a big challenge and, and prepare yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all those things. And, you know, it, it's like, it doesn't matter. And, and this is why I, I love being a part of the, the community. And I love still being in touch with a lot of the, the guys that I served with is because like, man, the most boring thing and the most detrimental thing I could do to myself would be to just focus on the fact that, you know, I earned this green hat however many years ago and l look at me, I'm cool. Like, like regardless of the fact that, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's cool. I'm proud of my service, but for me, I've got to reinvent myself so that I do something with that for the rest of my life. Not what I did, but what I'm doing in, in the pursuit of where, where I feel my path is, is going. And that's hard. A lot of challenges. I got to continually have rites of passage. I got to reinvent myself or I got to, you know, make things hard and challenging. And, and that's the call that, that I feel. So that's the one that, that I'm answering. Yeah. And I really think that's an important point because you don't want to be the green beret that's constantly talking about the Q course and, you know, how tough it was and how I got through it. You don't want to be the Navy SEAL that's always talking about buds and, you know, talking about the missions you've been on. It's the Uncle Rico syndrome, right? It's like, I can throw a football over the mountains and it's just like, okay, have you done anything lately, Uncle Rico? Like, what have you done lately to develop yourself? Like, you were a bad dude back in the day. Are you still a bad dude? So that's an important thing because past experiences, they forge you into who you are today, but they don't define you for your entire life. They may be kind of like a, a hinge point, a cornerstone experience in your life, but it doesn't define you going forward. You have to continue to put in the work, which I guess is a really interesting through point for this entire conversation, which is to do hard things. And you did something really hard that was unexpected. I, I found this out about you as I was kind of just searching through the, the internet. And you did this really hard thing back in 2018, and you did it in the form of a blog. So to kind of give a little bit of the backstory, GoRuck, your company, announced that it would be raising its prices for the first time in history. Okay, so your your audience and your your buyers had been very, very uh, getting, they had gotten very used to your pricing structure and how things were priced and you were going to be increasing the prices on them. So you write this blog post to kind of explain that. And so the thing is, is and I can attest to this personally now, obviously, because you guys hooked, hooked me up over here, but the quality of your product is absolutely top notch, but that's by design. I mean, you set out to make rucks that would withstand, you know, a deployment as a Green Beret, but also be fashionable enough for somebody, you know, just walking through the city. But at that moment, why not just compete 
on you know just trying to make the most generically beneficial pack possible why specifically compete on quality why not just avoid all the angry emails and the pr hit and just make the the world's most accessible pack and you know to make it cheaper to make sure everybody can kind of be a part of the go ruck family and the go ruck team why did you go through all that why did you put yourself through the headache yeah i mean like you just when you have non-negotiables in life it gets pretty easy to back into the right answer, right? I mean, the hard right over the easy wrong. And and basically, I just, you know, my name is attached to GoRuck and the guys that I served with, like they're, when I think about some decisions, I think to get really specific, it's, hey, when the guys that I served with hear about this, is this something that's going, they'll be proud of or that it will be like, oh man, right. You know, and there have been several of those throughout the the last since 2010, really, where it's been like, nope, not going to do that. Right. Like, I'm not going to, you know, run around and sing special forces, special forces cadences wearing ranger panties and, and some big flag like this company wanted me. I'm like, you got to be kidding, man. Right. You got to be kidding. And so I just find that, you know, communities thrive on communication. They thrive on explanation and why. And the analogy in the military is Bravo right rifle. When you're patrolling and you have Alpha and Bravo teams, like Bravo right rifle is the guy that's way far away from the the, the center kind of the, the team leader, right? And he's just kind of out there flapping, OTF, right? And it's really frustrating if you don't know anything that's going on ever and you're just kind of out there like, all right, I guess we're doing this. But people are more motivated and are more supportive if they at least understand the why. They might not agree with the decision. They might not agree with all of the things. They also might not have all the information. So it's kind of like, hey, this is the information that we have right now. I mean, the manufacturing world is, is by the way, a, a complete mess. Um, but but it's it's not a problem we can't solve. It's just these things take more time, effort, energy, and the number one ingredient in all of our stuff is cash. I mean, it's it's like just eats it, and and that's just you know those are our business problems to solve. But I just always thought it was it was better to kind of take the high ground, and once you take the high ground, like, man, they're coming for you. So if if you kind of give up on that high ground, then you're just you're 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 letting someone come in and just scoop it up, you know? And I just, that's, that's just not something I wanted to do. Yeah. I really do appreciate that sentiment because here's the thing is there are people even with this show that they don't want me to do certain things. So maybe they don't want me to have a certain guest on. They don't want me to ask certain questions in the way that I ask them, or maybe they don't like the advertisements or something like that. But here's the thing is I, I'm never going to beg anyone to be a fan of my show. Right. I'm not going to do that. And go ruck should not beg anybody to buy their stuff like, hey, buy our rucks, buy or whatever. The thing is, is you're going to make whatever you make. And then the marketplace gets to opt in or opt out of that. Right. So it's not it's not up to you to, to beg them. It's up to you to make the best product possible and put it out there to them. So that's just basically how it goes. But as we wind towards the end here, Jason, I do a segment towards the end of my shows. It's called What Would You Say to Someone That Said? And so this is meat and potatoes round, okay? So these are our lightning round questions where I'm going to basically say, what would you say to someone that said, and then I'm going to fill in the blank with something random, and you've got 30 seconds maximum lightning round to give me your answer. So what would you say to someone that said? You up for it? 
I'm a good Irishman, Irishman man. Like yeah. you know, potatoes, like that's that's my that's my wheelhouse. Okay, good. Well, we need to get your red beard going because then people will actually <laughs> believe you that you're a good Irishman. But let's go and get into the first one here. What would you say to someone that said, "I'm too old to work out"? That's ridiculous. Stop making excuses. I would absolutely agree with that. Let's get into the next one here. I think you're doing fine. What would you say to someone that said, "Rucking isn't hard enough, isn't a hard enough workout for me"? Add more weight. Like rushing yeah. is a foundation of special forces training. You can make it damn near impossible. Just don't go up to that line. Yeah, you know? don't don't absolutely kill yourself. All right. So here's the next one here. What would you say to someone that said the United States military should prioritize diversity and inclusion over lethality? The the military's job is to defeat the enemy, like define success and build around that. And that's, that's what I would say. Like it's, you, you have to prioritize and, and the priority is defeat the enemy. Yeah. Well, it should be at least. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, why do you guys drink bud heavy after hard rucks? Why are you such a pinky out beer snob? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you know what's funny about that is whenever I look at y'all's comments, uh, you know, on some of your posts or something like that, it's all these guys that are like, why are you doing that? Because here's the deal. When I see Bud Heavy, I always think about that, how that's my dad's favorite beer and, you know, he likes drinking that. And so I get it. You know, if you like beer and all those different things, you might, hey, hey, here's this IPA, here's this whatever thing. But I think people spend too much time thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, it's great. You can find it everywhere. I grew up watching my dad work on Harley Davidson's drinking butt heavy in his garage in Ohio. So, you know, there's some nostalgia there too, but it's also delicious. There you go. That's all you need to say. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said SF guys wish they were seals? Who? Okay. <laughs> Come on. You got to give me a little bit more than that. Go on, man. I got... <laughs> Dude, there's a lot of guys in the SEAL community that wanted a better reaction. Uh, not not for one day. Okay. Well, hey, here's the deal. I know you guys are on the same team, so you, there's like to, there's a little bit of a sibling rivalry there, but we'll go ahead and continue on. We got a few more. What would you say to someone that said, America's leadership in the world will soon be at an end? Man, people got to be more positive, right? Like if go find some uh, Americans and do something hard with them and you'll see what makes America tick, right? Waiting for Washington to solve all your problems and basing you know, the next hundreds of years off of one current president or one this or one that, like that's just not where the ultimate strength in America lies. And these things come in waves. Like we can't view everything as so catastrophic, right? This one second, like America is strong because our people are strong. We're strong in will and we're strong in in many other ways. And, you know, we just, we're, we're, we gotta find a, a new way to reinvent ourselves to express that better. Right, I absolutely agree. All right, we got a couple more left here. What would you say to someone that said, I don't need a go ruck ruck, I already have a backpack. Put some weight in it and go for a walk. If you want the best, that's what we build. All right, roger that. Last question of the day here, here we go. What would you say to someone that said, working out makes me uncomfortable? Good. Right. But 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 really do it smart. Right. Do it smart. And the best thing to do literally is to do it with somebody else. You don't need to start at zero. You're not a Porsche. You don't need to go from zero to one hundred and two seconds. Right. Like working out can be walking or rucking or, you know, taking biking to work once a week. I don't know. Like we all have the, 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 the freedom 
and the opportunity to choose to be more active. So just be more active and start stop calling it working out or fitness or all these things that are buzzwords for you. Find something and go do that. Yeah, enough of the buzzwords. The guys, these are personal decisions that you're blessed enough to make on your own. Figure out something that you're going to like to do and make it a lifestyle choice. But Jason, we went everywhere in this conversation. I'm really pleased with how it turned out. But as of now, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? I just want to say thanks for having me on. I enjoy the the talk. It's been I don't get a lot of questions about spirituality. And so it was something that, you know, I can remember the feeling on the airfield. I can remember these kind of like before going into to battle and all, all of that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And just the, the way that those are really good and powerful memories for me. And so thanks for letting me dig those up a little bit. <laughs> well, well, yeah, if you don't mind me blowing up the end of my own interview here, I mean, if you'll indulge me with a follow-up uh, on that, help me understand as a civilian. So as a civvy, I've never had to face down a hot LZ. Uh, you know, I've never had to fast rope out of a helicopter, you know, while bullets were flying and, you know, that, you know, I thought my life was on the line. Like uh, I've never had to really stare down something like that. I've never been in a situation where I had to potentially sacrifice my life for the lives of the guys I was serving with or for innocent people that I didn't even know that were just perfect strangers. And here's the thing is like, I, I guess I understand the fear that you might, might have not directly, obviously, but I understand at least the concept of the fear, but I want you to go into that a little bit more because you literally feel like God put you in a situation where you might die, where you may no longer be able to experience his blessings here on this planet, but he's putting you in this crazy situation where that's exactly where you're supposed to be in that moment. So just really help me understand kind of your mindset there and kind of how you got to that point of thinking. So it's, it's a, it's an evolution, right? And I'll start out by saying, you know, People talk about this huge military civilian divide like it's it can't be it can't be combined ever. And, you know, anytime I, I ask people about this, like, man, you would die for the person you're left and the person to your right. I just don't know what that feels like. I'm like, well, do you have kids? And they're like, yep. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I is there anything give, that you would do that to smile. protect them? You know? Yeah, it's like, would you jump in front of a bus if you had to? Would you do that for sure. your kids? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody would that's listening to this. Right. Okay. So we have more in common than, than what all the naysayers are going to say. Right. So, yeah. but it is an unnatural mental process to prepare to go to war. Like for me, it mm. was. And, and so what happens though, is in, in the kind of contemplation of, of our own mortality, of my own mortality, like that weighed on me throughout the course of the years of my training. And, and, and it's, a, it's a build, right? I had the time to think about this. And I got over to Iraq and I was with my team and I was definitely scared to die, right? And that was the beginning of the deployment. There were other guys who had been on deployments before. They'd done this many times, right? And so I was leaning on their confidence that we could do this to the best of our abilities and life has risk. This is a contact sport you know what you signed up for, but those I'm, I'm kind of like glossing it over at a, at a real kind of foundational level was the journey was I had to make peace with the fact that I might die. And that is when I learned how to live, right? I learned how to do it better so that I wouldn't die or that I, I would have a lower risk of dying, I should say, because bad things happen to good people, you know, but it's, it's that process of, okay, so there are worse things than dying. 
I believe in this cause. I believe in our country. I was, I was chosen or I chose to do this, to serve our country. And this is where our country sent me. Here I am. I'm going to do the best job that I possibly can. And I'm going to do it not even really for like God and country at that point. It's, it's the guy to my left and the guy to my right. And, and so you don't want to let them down. And that, that becomes super granular at that level, right? In, in, in the cosmos. But there are worse things than, worse things than dying. And you take a couple deep breaths and you say, you feel better. It calms you. I just got to go do my job. And we were trained well. We believed in the cause. We believed in each other. And, and that got us through. So I wonder if in a way, as, as you're talking about, the, you know, the, the guy to your left or the guy to your right and, you know, protecting them and all that, I wonder if it is elevated to a degree because, because here's the thing, as humans, we're not fully developed. We don't fully use our brains and, you know, our brains aren't fully developed until we're 25 years old. And yet we do all these risky things before the age of 25, obviously. But the, the way that God helps us understand his love for us is the fact that he sent his son to die for us, to die, to, you know, basically pay the debt for sin so that we could be close to the father, that we could be in the father's presence without sin, because sin can't be in the presence of the father in, in, you know, in the presence of a, a just and right God. And, uh, you know, the easiest way to kind of look at this is the concept of the Imago Dei. And, and that's, you know, that every single person that's ever been created by God has the image of God written on them. And so uh, the reason why guys like you and guys like me get so fired up, you know, when some injustice is being done to an actual person is because somewhere deep down, somewhere instinctively, we see that the Imago Dei is being violated and we will not stand for it that there is something that needs to be fought for in that moment. And it is real justice, not social justice or any of this other stuff, but real justice. And, and we will protect people. We will be the sheepdog. You know what I mean? And so d does that thought process make sense to you? Because here you are and here you've described situations where you're kind of in this, I don't know, this modern phalanx of sorts. And that kind of leads you to have this deeper level of thinking in terms of what your job is and, and what you're doing on a day in day out basis. I mean, that's exactly what special forces is all about. I mean, we, we glorify the, the individual, right? The Rambos, the Jason Bournes, the, whatever the case may be, like they're glorified as individuals, but that is just not the most fulfilling way in any measure to, to lead a life. And so operating on a team, you know, it, it's absolutely, it's absolutely fulfilling exactly as you describe is it's not about me. And, and so you know, the, the team is the closest thing to you. And you also have then your place in the universe. It's not about you. You're, you're, you know, walk your path, come what may. Yeah, man. I, I seriously feel like we just opened up another can of worms and we can talk for another couple of hours, but you know, at some point I got to put a bow on this damn thing, but I really do appreciate you letting us, you know, go into all that detail and you, you kind of helping me work my way through that. So I'll ask my last question of the day again. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? <laughs> no, I think we got it. <laughs> okay, yeah we, yeah, we definitely did not nail it the first time. We had to kind of go back in and see if we could re-nail it. So I feel like we've done that. But man, thank you so much, Jason McCarthy. Thank you for coming on Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Thanks. It's been great chatting with you.
There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Jason McCarthy. I told you it was going to be a good one, but before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. Adam Daunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a couple of links for you. I've got a link to the Go Ruck website. Guys, you should go and check out their materials. Check out all their swag. They've got some amazing stuff. These rucks are absolutely incredible, but they've got a lot of other stuff on there as well. And I also have the link to the blog that I talked about earlier, the one that I asked them about later on in the interview. It's called Prices Are Increasing, a note from our founder. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And we also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.